Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. The engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Truth and Justice. I'm joined today by someone who all of you are very familiar with. For the first time since her short appearances on the Serial Podcast, Asia McLean sat down with me to talk to us about her experience in being the alibi witness that was never called. I'm sure that there are a lot of you listening right now who have not been following our current case, but have tuned in to hear what Asia has to say. So first of all, let me welcome all of you into the show. And for the rest of you who are following the case, The reason we're hearing from Asia today is because after I interviewed Shauna Couples in the Jesse Eldridge case, the parallels between her and Asia McLean became crystal clear. Listeners started taking to Twitter and tagging Asia and asking her about the case. Asia and I then hooked up, and I thought that it would be cool to talk to Asia for two reasons. One, because she's never really done an interview like this since Serial. And number two, she has gone through the exact same thing that Shauna Couples is going through right now. And so I thought it would be really interesting for all of us to hear what her perspective is on Shauna's situation. And lastly, the reason that we're dropping this interview today, right now, is because after the bombshells that came out of my interview with Sylvia last week, to be honest, I need some time to catch up. We got a lot of new information, a ton of documents we need to go through and cross-reference to see how they fit with Sylvia's account of Kiao's murder. So this episode has also given me a chance to get caught up and make sure we have all of our ducks in a row before we continue on with the investigation. And our last bit of housekeeping before we begin with the show, I wanted to let you know that next week, Mike and I will both be taking the week off for vacation. So there will be no episodes next week, the week of June 26. The next episode you're going to hear, the follow-up to this episode, will drop on July 7. And for any of you new listeners that have just tuned in to listen to Asia McLean. I would love to encourage all of you to go back to episode 301 during this two-week break and get caught up on our current case. I think you'll find it really interesting. But for now, that's all the housekeeping we have, so let's get right into my interview with Asia McLean. All right, we have a very special guest on the line today. Uh, She's taken time out of her very busy schedule of raising her kids. And I believe, Asia, that's because your your husband is actually home today and can give you a minute to lock yourself into a room. (laughs) Exactly. I treasure these moments. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely know the feeling. I had to build a a shed in my yard in order to get away so I could do my work. That sounds kind of (laughs) crazy. Right. (laughs) 
Well, I'm sure you've tangled with some of the same Reddit people that I have. I'm sure you, you heard all about me, the crazy guy from Michigan in his shed. I'm a little starstruck. I've, you know, we've never spoken before, but from what I've seen online, we travel in similar uh, circles and you get almost as much hate as I do. <laughs> right. That's how our, oh, so I, I guess I should officially introduce, this is Miss Asia McLean Chapman from the Anan Syed case, where she was made famous because of that. Uh, but yeah, that's how our conversation started, um, and Asia's on the show today, she agreed to come on, she's listened to the episode with Shauna, uh, so she kind of knows what Shauna's situation was, and a lot of people online were saying, man, Shauna in Asia, she's, people kept saying she's our case's Asia. And then Asia had chimed in on Twitter, and I jumped at the chance to ask her on the show. And that's that's actually how Asia introduced herself to me was we run in the same circles. You're almost as hated as I am <laughs> in those <laughs> online circles. Yeah. Um, like you said, I saw, I think it was a tweet about me and Shauna, and I was like, who's this person? I keep seeing this name being, you know, related to my name, and it spawned a curiosity in me to find out more about this case and what this young lady's been going through. And after listening to that episode of the podcast, I believe it was episode 315. Right. Um, I definitely could see um, a lot of similarities in her position and mine. I think what we like to do, Asia, is kind of first hear one thing that I actually have had the pleasure of hearing firsthand because I was in the, the courtroom during the PCR hearing, but very few people um, have, have had the opportunity to hear from you firsthand out of your mouth, your experience uh, with everything in Anand's case. So I think for the first segment, if you don't mind, we'll just talk a little bit about what your experience was first, and then in the second half, we'll get into um, how it kind of relates to Shauna and the Jesse Eldridge case. Sure. I guess we kind of start by going backwards to when you first got a call from Sarah Koenig. First of all, did you know when she called you that you were you were going to be on a podcast? I didn't. She said that she, you know, she was a journalist. She was working on a story. And she did reference, you know, the company that she worked for. Uh, but it just didn't track with me that it was a online radio publication. I was probably about eight months into kid number two, and I was just living in a bubble as far as, you know, trying to keep up with two kids and internet, radio, podcasts. It wasn't really um, a thing to me. I, you know, I, I didn't even know the concept of a podcast at that point in my life. I don't even know if she mentioned the actual word podcast or if she just stated that she was working on a story. And so when she contacted me, I was very elusive at first because, as you can imagine, after so many years, it was very odd to have individuals keep popping up wanting to ask me questions about this. As you guys probably all know from listening to the Serial Podcast, Sarah wasn't the first person to, quote unquote, find me several years before when I was living in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, I had a private investigator pop up and come into contact with my husband, and that person was looking to ask me questions. And so it just, it's kind of unnerving when you have people traveling across the country to find you, and especially when it involves something as nefarious as a, a murder. You know, you always kind of feel on edge. And so when she called, when it, well, actually, I ended up calling her 
she just kind of stated that she wanted to get some more information. She heard that I had some involvement and she wanted some clarification on it. There were some things that she didn't understand um, that she just really was having trouble wrapping her head around. And she'd hoped that maybe I could shed some light on, on a few things for her. And I said, okay, that's cool. That's a very non-threatening approach, you know, not really demanding approach. And so I agreed to speak with her because there were a lot of things about the case that I didn't know. And so with her coming in as a third party, it felt less invasive. It felt like she was just someone who was trying to understand things. And um, it was a little bit closer to the way I was feeling about the case. You know, there were some things that I didn't understand that I needed to get clarification on so that I could wrap my head on, on why people kept trying to reach out to me. So that's why, you know, I agreed to talk to her was because, you know, she wasn't from the defense. She wasn't from the prosecution. She was just a third party person trying to figure things out. Right. A neutral party coming in to ask questions. Mm -hmm. How many years had it been since the trial before that first private investigator came to talk to you? I believe it had been 10 years. This was in, I believe this was in 2010. Anon was arrested in 1999. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you know, you weren't at the trial, correct? You didn't know exactly what happened at the trial? No, I didn't even follow it on the news, to be honest. I had a lot of things going on in my personal life. Um, not to mention, you know, we were all graduating from high school, entering mm -hmm. into the college arena, trying to adjust to that lifestyle. Um, I also ended up moving out of state in 2000. And so I didn't follow the case at all. Uh, it had to be a complete shock. I mean, I, I guess let me let me back that up because this is something that was similar in Shauna's case. What were your thoughts on Idnan's innocence or guilt without knowing any details and just knowing that he was convicted? Had you just assumed that he was guilty that whole time? Yeah, I, I had assumed that he was guilty uh, because I actually wrote um, a little bit about after Adnan was arrested. Um, there was a lot of chatter in school, and I specifically remember one teacher in particular saying to us, you know, why do you think that they're still holding him? Why do you think he's in, still in jail? There has to be a reason why they still have him. And, you know, that kind of stuck in my head um, throughout all those years was, you know, there had to have been some kind of other evidence to have him convicted, to have him continue to be in jail. And that was kind of one of the things that struck me when I listened to their podcast about Shauna. Her situation was a little different because she knew for a fact, um, she knows for a fact that Jesse is innocent. Whereas, oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about Anon, but the same sentiment rang true for both of us in that, you know, you just, you assume that there's got to be more some type of, you know, smoking gun evidence that's, that's just, you know, a dead ringer. Otherwise, you know, this person would not be in jail. And then, you know, in 2010, those ideals were even more solidified through my conversation with Kevin Yurk. And so even until um, the moment when I began listening to the serial podcast, you know, I just assumed that there was DNA, there was various things that, that contributed to his conviction. Now, let's let's talk about that conversation with Yurik a little bit, because that was one thing that I was very disappointed in the PCR hearing, was that he wasn't required to be called to the stand to answer for that. 
Uh, because that was really the because your, your conversation, your interaction with Sarah Koenig was kind of twofold, wasn't? It? Didn't you have a conversation? Then you heard something and then reached back out to her. I had a conversation with Sarah, and for one reason or another, the communication lines were cut um, on my end, and I chose not to speak with her anymore. And you know, I think it was about ten months later, I started getting phone calls, found out about the podcast, started listening. And realized that because of the, the cut in communication, that there were a lot of questions that she had that weren't answered in the podcast. So it wasn't until after I heard those things, one of which being the, the incident with Kevin York uh, testifying at the original post-conviction hearing, it wasn't until I heard that that I reached back out to her because, for one, um, in the podcast, you know, it made it seem as if I had changed my story based on Kevin Yurick's testimony when that actually never happened. I never actually changed my story at all. And so that really bothered me and upset me. And so she was the first person that I reached out to to say, you know, how dare you put that in the podcast like that? Um, and, you know, it was just a situation in which because I was not communicating with her, um, she wasn't able to confirm with me that that was untrue and so she assumed that it was true because he testified to it being true and so what that testimony was as we can i guess we're kind of continuing to walk backwards in time which i think is, a, is kind of the best way to go through this story is during anon's first pcr hearing kevin urich got on the stand and said uh anyway I, I guess a quick step before that was after adon was convicted you were contacted by robbie Ashaudry, right yes so this is back in 2000, and Rabia, because Adnan, uh, from my understanding, right after he was convicted and all this was over with, he was he was talking to Rabia, and he's and he was kind of baffled as to why Christina Gutierrez didn't call you as a witness, and he was telling her and showing her like like I had letters from her that said she saw me that day, uh, and so you and Rabia had had met and you had signed an affidavit for her back in 2000, right? Correct. Right. And so that affidavit um, stated that uh, you like, I guess, you, I mean, I'll let you explain it, but pretty much it just said you you were in the library that day and you know it was that day and you saw it non there. Exactly. I mean, there's not really too much to it. Um, time and a place. And that was it. And, you know, it's funny because when I think back about that experience, even in that moment when Rabia approached me about it, I, it still didn't click it still didn't hit me that this might be really important. I guess because I didn't follow the case, it just was kind of like, oh, I, I don't even recall if I, if I knew or if she told me that he had been convicted. I don't remember that. So I don't ever remember thinking, oh, she's asking me this after the fact. Right. So even in that moment, I didn't consider her reapproaching me about it well not reapproaching but approaching me about it as important yeah well the, th the thing was too and what i think a lot of people don't realize is you know because when they'll say you know to you or to shauna well why didn't you come forward before well you knew you had seen it non in the library that day until two forty two forty five. but what you didn't know because no one knew was that the state was claiming that that was the exact time that he was murdering hay you had no way of knowing that that time was relevant Exactly. And that's one of the things that I find so silly about a lot of the conspiracy theorists is that I had no way of knowing what the state's argument was going to be. So how could I have 
come forward with a false alibi when I didn't even know that that was the time that the state was going to argue the murder, you know? Adnan and his uh, attorney didn't know what time they were going to argue. I mean, they went into trial having no idea what the timeline was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be honest, I was just trying to provide my little piece of the puzzle, you know, that is now his timeline of his day. Um, and when you think about it, I mean, how many times do you run into someone that you know at a store or a friend of a friend at a store and you have a quick conversation with them for a few minutes and then you move on and you don't really put that much stock into an experience like that. So when people are asking for information and you say, hey, you know, I saw such and such at Target and we talked for a few minutes and yeah, I remember seeing them that day. If you never hear anything back, you're not going to think that it's important. Right. And that's what happened to me was I came forward with this information of seeing him during that time period, and I was never contacted. No one ever spoke to me about it. And so I assumed that it was of no importance until I moved on. And that's that's kind of one of the other similarities that make me feel really bad for Shauna, you know, with her carrying so much guilt it's so easy for people to listen to the story now as adults and place judgment on her or place judgment on me for not doing more but you have to remember we were children we were kids you know you said she was 16 I was 17 at the time and kids we you know kids don't know the proper channels to go through I thought that by telling Anon's family and writing to Anon that that was good enough to get the information to the appropriate person so that they could have someone contact me. I figured that the family and Anon would be the best channel because if it were relevant, they would have his attorney contact me. And, you know, that would be the best person for me to provide that information to. And when no one contacted me, I just assumed that, okay, it's not important. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So it's after the trial. Robbie comes in and, and asks you to write your affidavit. You wrote it. Now, I guess, I guess I'll ask you with that experience. Did you feel any kind of pressure from Robbie at that time? No, I didn't at all. Not at all. Okay. He seemed like very concerned. Um, that no one had contacted me, 
and uh, she seemed like she just wanted to document what I was saying. And like I said, at the time, I didn't think that even then that it was important. I just thought she wanted to document it. Right. So a very different story than the story that Kevin Urich then tells 10 years later, which we'll jump back to that now, which is what you heard on the podcast after your first contact with Sarah Koenig was Kevin Urich going to the post-conviction relief hearing and saying that he was contacted by you and that you said that you were pressured by the family to write the affidavit and that's the only way you did it and that you were recanting. Exactly. And to be honest, it pissed me off. Well, I bet it would I piss mean, me off, too. I mean, for one, it pissed me off because, like I said, when I heard it in the podcast, it wasn't refuted in the podcast. And when I heard it, I immediately refuted it. And, um, you know, to my husband, of course. Right. <laughs> and not so nice of language. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, there's that level of, of being upset. And then the other level is that that information was used to pass judgment on and on. And I think that was extremely unfair to me. I, it's always come across as hearsay. And, you know, I've asked uh, many attorneys about, you know, how it's possible that something like that would be used in court against someone. And the only answer that I've ever gotten is that post-conviction hearings tend to be more lax than a traditional trial case. And so they allow things like that as forms of evidence, but I think, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, I don't think in any type of court situation you should allow uh, one person to give testimony on the the actions or the sayings uh, or conversation of another person in the way that he did it. I don't think that should have even been admissible without speaking to me directly. Right. I, I agree with you. And, and, and you weren't there to defend those answers. And, and part of that is because if we jump back a little further, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, and I'll let you walk us through this, but you heard from that, def that defense investigator, you were wondering what was going on. Uh, and, and correct me if I get <laughs> the story wrong. But then you you decided to call uh, the Baltimore DA's office to see what the story was. Is that right? Actually, no. I um, the first thing I did was I went on the internet and, and I started doing internet searches to see, you know, if it was back in the news for some reason. Because, like I said, it had been ten years, so it's like, okay, mm -hmm. it, did something happen? You know, why is this an issue now? And I couldn't find anything. Um, I found an old article that had some names in it as far as key individuals, and so I reached out to uh, Kevin Urich. After Googling literally uh, his name um, and finding a phone number for him, and that that's how I called him. So I did. It wasn't like I called the the DA's office. I just literally found him via the internet. Okay. I used to be pretty good at super sleuthing that kind of stuff, and so <laughs> yeah, I actually helped my uh, ex boyfriend locate his father that he never met um, all the way across the country. Oh, wow. So you had no problem yeah. tracking down Kevin Urich then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it was just a spur-of-the-moment, harebrained idea, you know, born out of just my naive mentality that, you know, the defense attorney is going to be, like, the bad guy, you know, because mm -hmm. they, they're the ones that help the murderers, the rapists, you know, the, the thieves, 
the bad people. If I'm going to get the truth, I don't want to call the guy that's going to try to lie for the bad guy to get me involved somehow. I want to talk to this good guy who's going to, you know, give me the, the truth. How do you feel about that perspective now as far as the good guys and the bad uh, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all relative. Really. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, and one nice thing yeah. that, that even like you making that statement right there, and it's not to say that prosecutors are bad. But for people to at least consider the fact that the defendant may not be guilty and that the prosecutor, that we don't just take everything a prosecutor says as fact because they're a prosecutor, because you've witnessed firsthand exactly. what happened. Lawyers, I see lawyers as they have jobs to do. The defense attorney has his job and the prosecutor has his job. And it doesn't always mean that they believe in what they're doing. But they do it anyway. And we don't know why some prosecutors make the decisions that they make. Some of it is conviction. They actually believe, you know, in what they're doing and the convictions that they're trying to achieve. And some of it is status and career based. A lot of them are ambitious. They want to move up. They want more, you know, um, acknowledgement in the legal community. Um, they want you know, a better namesake for themselves, or they, they have aspirations of, like I said, be, maybe becoming a judge one day or move, moving up in, in that, that arena. And so, you know, they're all about their numbers, their conviction rate, you know, uh, when it comes to cases like the Anand case, you know, that's a very public case. I can't speak for Vignaraja, but to me, he comes across as someone who enjoys being in the spotlight and who has career aspirations to move up. And that may be also something that's fueling his desire to, you know, go after this case the way that he has. In addition, you know, he may have his own personal convictions and beliefs about Anand's innocence as well, but we have to remember that, you know, there's, there's always other factors to why people do things. Sure. And, you know, my issue with Vignaraja was, you know, th there may be some conviction, but I don't see how anybody, unless they're just being willfully ignorant, can look at Ignan's case and say he's absolutely guilty. Like, I think that, that a clear-thinking mm -hmm. individual, at the very least, has to question it, has to say, you know what, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe we didn't get it right, at the very least. And to, mm -hmm. to me, though, I felt like, especially when you were on the stand and some other people were on the stand, the PCR hearing that he was almost that he was showboating for all the press that was there. I mean, he wasn't even acting like, in my opinion, like a, a professional attorney should act in a courtroom. I mean, he was, he was putting on a song yeah. and dance for he, the press. I agree. He's pretty childish. I talk a lot about that in my memoir concerning my experience with Vic Naraja. Um, The attitude of that man is just very unnerving to me. And I think you're right. Um, you know, I know these people, um, you know, I'm involved in the story and I can't make heads or tails of it. So it always kind of cracks me up when, when I come into contact with these people on the internet that are like a hundred percent one way or the other. And it's just like, you're an idiot. Like, how can you say one way or the other? You know, it's just, it's amazing to me how opinionated some people can be. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. And and along those opinions was what we were just talking about, which was Kevin Urich. So your conversation with him 
was you were asking about the case. Um, did you tell him that you were pressured to write that affidavit? No, of course not. And did you tell him that you were recanting your statement? No. You know, it's kind of personally insulting to me because I think if nothing else throughout this public experience, I think that I've proven that I have a pretty solid backbone. So the idea that someone's going to pressure me into writing an affidavit is is pretty insulting and, and laughable to me. Right. And so now that we've officially covered um, how you came to write the affidavit and what the conversation was with Yurik, then he walked into the PCR hearing and, and that was what he testified to, to the judge. And that goes back to that, well, we assume, well, he's the prosecutor, he's the good guy, that you had told him that, that your affidavit was was written because of pressure from the family and that you were recanting. And and that's what got you to reach back out to Sarah. And and really, that's what got the, I mean, you, you particularly are what got Adnan's case a, another look when it should have been done. I mean, his case was over with after that PCR yeah. hearing, but you reaching back out to Sarah mm-hmm. Koenig and that information getting passed down to his attorneys uh, was then sent up to the Court of Special Appeals, the, the next higher court up. And that's what that's what remanded it back down. So it's pretty incredible how mm-hmm. that panned out. It's interesting. I would I would love to know how things would have panned out differently if that hadn't happened. Oh, and I guess that was the other thing I want to go back to your conversation with with Yurik. The other thing I think that you had said on the podcast, I'm trying to remember where this where this came from. But did did Yurik make an attempt to dissuade you? From getting involved? Well, it wasn't in the podcast. So it was in my book, probably, that you, you're recalling that. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and put words in his mouth that I don't specifically recall. What I recall is that he gave me his personal opinion of Anand's guilt, and he confided in me about specific evidence that, in my opinion, wasn't really true and wasn't really evidence at all. Do you mean that he was he telling you that there was evidence against Adnan's guilt that doesn't actually exist? In a way. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to. I know. And, and I don't want to um, I don't want to back you into a corner either. I was just trying to I'm trying to think now no, of the testimony and it's stuff. Not, it's not backing me into a corner, you know, but I just don't want to put myself in a position where he has any recourse to do anything nefarious to me based upon his perception of what I'm saying. Um, I want to be 100% clear in what I recall about our conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. And there were just things that he, like, um, as far as DNA, he told me that there was DNA found at the crime scene. But in actuality, yeah, there was DNA found, but it was never tested. So it wasn't necessarily what he told me. It was the way that he expressed the information to me. Right. I guess this is a safe way to to ask the question for you is um, when you were done with that conversation after talking to Kevin Urich, did you feel at that point that this was not worth you getting involved in? Exactly. After I talked to Kevin Urich, I walked away feeling like, you know, Anon was guilty, that there was tremendous evidence against him, and that them trying to reach out to me was some ploy 10 years after the fact to try to raise doubt 
when there's otherwise no doubt, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I made the decision not to get involved. Um, I was, you know, at a very transitional point in my life. I had just gotten married, me and my husband. We were contemplating having children. Um, there was a lot going on with our business at the time. And to be honest, I made a, I made a selfish decision. I, I made a selfish decision based on poor information to not get involved, you know, and I, I allowed that man to convince me that there was no need to get involved because justice had been served. And that was a lot of what upset me uh, when I actually heard about his testimony at the post-conviction hearing was that I felt that he had tricked me. I felt like he tricked me to keep me in the dark. He tricked me to keep me from getting involved so that he could go and so-called speak on my behalf. And I just thought that was extremely unethical and just wrong. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's awful. though. I mean, and this was all done for him to protect his conviction. And it kind of goes back to what you were speaking about earlier as far as the... I think so, yeah. Yeah, the, the adversarial system where, you know, I'm going in to win, not necessarily to bring justice, but I'm going in to win. And to, in my opinion, you were used as a pawn for him to protect his conviction in that battle. I would say I agree. Okay, Asia, this is a perfect time right here, I think. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get right back in. We'll talk a little bit more after the break about how you think your case relates to Shauna's situation. Okay. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back from our break now. And Asia, uh, before we, we let you go, I'm sure you got to get back to your kids before too much longer here. If, if we could talk a little bit about what parallels you see between your situation and Shauna Couple's situation in the Jesse Eldridge case. I think the, the whole being in the dark is the main uh, comparison that I took away from it. The fact that she, not necessarily that she, she, she tried to follow the case or she was kept out of the courtroom. Uh, but at the end of the day, she was kept in the dark. And I kind of feel like with me not following Nan's case, you know, um, I kept myself in the dark. And had that not been the case in, in either situation, I think a, a lot more information would have been given to the correct parties and um, things may have turned out differently. Who knows? Did you experience any of the I know you had mentioned a little bit in the first segment. Uh, that you know, you kind of felt that you were you selfishly didn't come forward after talking to Kevin Urich. Um, I personally don't think that's the case. I mean, I don't think that it, many people would have reacted very differently. But was there a point in time where you you felt some of that same guilt that Shauna is has was has currently been feeling once that once she finally realized that the truth has come out, uh, once you realized how important she could have been. Did you experience any oh, of that? Definitely, definitely. Um, that was one of the other emotions that I had when I heard the serial podcast. I felt extremely guilty um, for not 
fighting harder to uh, come forward in 2010, you know, um, because, I mean, you could see it both ways. 2010, I have this detective come out, don't know what they want, don't know who they're with. So I reach out to Kevin Urich uh, to get more information. In a sense, I did come forward in 2010. I just didn't take it any further past Kevin Urich. Just like when I was a child, I didn't take it any further past Anon and his family. And so after hearing the podcast and knowing everything that actually happened and what he was convicted on and my um, potential place in this case, uh, I felt a tremendous amount of guilt because if we are in a situation where he's innocent, it's been, what, 18 years now? And, you know, that's a lot of life to be wasted behind bars. Right. One thing that I don't know if anybody's ever asked you, I know that I've never heard the answer to this, but it just occurred to me when you were talking to Kevin Urich, did you tell him your story? Did did he ask you, did you tell him that you do remember seeing a non in the library that day? Did you tell him that or did he ask? I did. I did, you know, and I, and I wanted to know was the case back in court that that was the whole reason why I called him was because I couldn't find any information online about it. And so I wanted to know if the case was back in court for some reason or if it had been reopened. And I told him that I, you know, I saw Anon in the library and I wanted to know if there was any new information that made that relevant. Um, that was the whole point in call in contacting him because I thought he was the guy in the white hat, you know, that was going right. to me all the truth, you know? And so I wanted someone to know, yeah, you know, I did see him in the library, but I was never contacted about this. And now here it is 10 years later and I have a private PI looking for me. Why do you know anything? The funny thing is, is that when I look back at it now, he was probably pretending, but he actually told me to hold on. He put me on hold so that he could, quote unquote, look in his computer system. And I laugh when I think about it now, because I wonder if he even actually looked into anything. Right. If he was just jerking my chain the whole time. I haven't talked on the show about Adon's case in long, I mean, well over a year. And and during that case, I had a lot of moments where I was really enraged. And right now is one of them because what you what you just said, which is I, I really don't think this has come out, this part of it, but the fact that Kevin Urich knew, you told him directly out of your own mouth that you were with Adon at the time of the murder and that the defense never contacted you. He what well, we had to go to court to have this huge PCR hearing to prove years later he knew it that moment he knew it that day and still walked into that courtroom and not only lied about you know that you were pressured about the um, to write the affidavit and that you were recanting was it so not only is that bad enough and and witness tampering as far as I'm concerned but he knew where he's the one that presented the two thirty six p.m. timeline. And he knew that you were with Anon at that time that led all the way to Thero Vignaraja. You can take that all the way back. All that happened because Kevin Urich lied about that. It's got my blood boiling again. <laughs> it's just so funny when you when you think like 
not funny as in haha, but just funny as in mind blowing when you think about it. Um, just <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, it's disgusting. It is. It's. I think disgusting is the right word for it. And it's so similar to uh, Jesse Eldridge's case, where in his case, you know, for you, it was a letter you wrote to a non that the defense had. In Jesse Eldridge's case, it was a statement that Shauna had given to the police that they, the prosecutors had in their file where she directly conflicts. Well, she says that Jesse was home that morning and he didn't kill anybody. And, and they had that in their file and still went forward. It's just the similarities are really, really strong. And thinking about the conversation now with what you just mentioned, even when I called Kevin Urich, I had no idea about this whole 236 nonsense. I didn't find that out until serial. Mm -hmm. So even as I'm talking to Kevin Yurick about this, I had no idea in any time in that conversation that what I, the information I was providing to him was in direct conflict of what he tried at court. Yeah. You had no way of knowing that it, that it was. And that's what makes me so sick is he did. I mean, you basically called him yeah. and said, "Hey, you know, this is what he's hearing. If we can, if I can be the brain of Kevin Urich right now, uh, your this person calls him and says, "Hey, that case you presented, your theory of the case that that Anand did it and that he killed her two thirty six, that's actually impossible because he was with me that day until after that." And his response to that was, yeah. "Oh, you know what? There's all this evidence. You don't want to get involved in all this. You better just stay away." Like that. That's that's how the you know the short form yeah. of what played out that day was. But because I didn't say 236, because I didn't know 236, you know, I just said that I, you know, I'd written a letter and, and I told the family that I saw him after school. So, I mean, not just play devil's advocate, but he, he could have maybe thought I was referring to later a different time in the day. Who knows? Like I said, I don't want to put words, you know, intentions on him mm -hmm. other than the intentions that I know of. Right. He intentionally went to court and testified on my behalf without my knowledge to um, some information that I don't feel is was truthful. But I'm not, you know, like I said, I he could have thought maybe I was referring to a different time after school. Who knows? <laughs> um, because yeah. it's not like I sat there and, and said, oh, yeah, I saw him in the library at 2.30, you know. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, so, I mean. You're giving him a lot of grace, but I, I get where you're exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap this up, Asia, uh, if I could ask one more thing from you, from some of the, I, I know that, you know, I, I'm I'm at this point kind of backing away from Shauna because she's she's been, I don't want to say handed over like she has, but this information has been given to the Innocence Project and the Conviction Integrity Unit. So, you know, the next, at this point, it'll be them that'll be coming, getting affidavits and things from her. But I do know that she's listening. I think she would really appreciate any advice you have from her moving forward, be it as far as, you know, as far as, you know, engaging online or anything like that. Do you, do you have any yeah, advice? I do. Uh, well, first of all, Shauna, please reach out to me via Twitter. You can reach me at Asia R. Chapman. I would love to connect with you and offer you as much support as I can because, you do have the potential to um, be in a very stressful situation that um, is going to be stressful for a while. My advice to you would be to figure out now if your 
strong enough to read and hear the most vile things about you and your character and your personality and decide now if if you can handle it. If you feel like you can't handle it, don't even turn on the computer. (laughs) Right. Uh, Let alone go to specific websites um, or Twitter itself. But if you can, for me personally, I find it uh, strengthening to see the negative uh, because at least I know what's out there. But I have a lot of experience with that and that didn't always come easy. That's something that I had to grow into and I had to learn to accept. Um, not everybody's capable of doing that. So just just try to figure out, you know, how strong you are or how strong you think you can grow to be. And if you, you think you can handle it, then by all means, read it. But if you can't, the Internet is not going to be your friend. Yeah, the Internet can definitely be an ugly place. Definitely. I mean, and there's a lot of good, too. There are a lot of people on um, Twitter and online that are very supportive of me. And I love you guys to death because there were times where I could not stop crying because of all the negative attention and the comments and you like to think that the opinions of others don't really weigh on you as an adult but you know when you're constantly being bombarded with negativity it does have an effect and so I thank God for all of the positive people out there that reach out to me and all of the people that have taken the time to read my book and understand my experience, uh, because there have been a lot of circumstances within this case where the journey could have went one way or another, and because of one specific act or word or just happenstance, uh, things fell into place the way that they have. And it meant a lot for me for people to be able to read that and understand how those moments transpired. So I'm very thankful for people who encourage me and then support me in that manner. And like I said, uh, Shauna, if if you need a, a friend, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. Um, reach out to me and we can connect. And I think that is the... Uh, the best piece of advice you gave. And, and Shauna, if you're listening, I think that you guys can start a, a, a serial alibi support group. Uh, that, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure as, these, as there's yeah. more, more and more podcasts pop up and keep digging up these old cases, there'll be a, a, a big group of you going forward. And then we can have a reunion in like 30 years. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, Asia. Well, I'm I'm gonna let you go, but before I do, um, I want you to can can you tell people the the title of your book and where they can find it? Uh yes, my book is called Confessions of a Serial Alibi, and it is available on Amazon. Um, and you can also find it through various book vendors by going to my website, asiamclean.com. Awesome. Well, Asia, thank you so much. I know you have a very busy schedule at home and for taking the the time out of your day to talk to us. I know the listeners very much appreciate it. I personally do. It's really cool. You know, you said earlier that we've never actually spoken, but we did. Uh at the I don't know if you know this, but at the uh, PCR hearing, uh you were you were rushing to the bathroom while I was out on my cell phone and <laughs> and and you you came out looking, "Where's the bathroom?" and I said, "It's over there." Uh so we 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 had that when conversation. <laughs> When you said that, I totally remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So this that that was the first time we we met uh, prior to today. 
Uh, but again, Asia. Well, you're very helpful then, and you're very helpful now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you again, Asia, so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. I hope that all of you enjoyed the interview with Asia. Personally, I'm really thankful that Asia took the time to sit down and talk with me. I really enjoyed our conversation, and it was really insightful to hear right from her mouth what the experience was like for her, tracking all the way from the day she saw Adnan in that library through the PCR hearing that eventually overturned Adnan's conviction. I have now connected Asia with Shauna, so Shauna has someone to lean on through these very stressful times ahead of her. And before I close things out today, I want to thank all of you for giving Mike and I both the opportunity to actually take some family vacation time. This will be the first time in a year that we're taking an entire week off just to spend with our families with no work. So thank you for allowing us the opportunity to do that. And in two weeks, we'll be getting right back into the case and picking up with all the new information we found since Sylvia shared with us that Kiao's murder may have actually been witnessed by undocumented immigrants and never reported to the police. We'll see you in two weeks. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Michael Bussing is our executive producer. Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for today's episode was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to Desiree Dunn, Sarah Mueller, and Sarah Hoyt for transcribing all the episodes. Thank you to Chris Brinkley of sylviaconsultants.com for creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can leave us voicemails at 269-224-2833. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Rupp, and this has been Truth and Justice. <laughs>